Human potential is unleashed when we feel like we belong. And that's why inclusive workplaces experience higher engagement, performance, and profits. We're going to be talking about that with Jennifer Brown, author of How to Be an Inclusive Leader on the Leadership Podcast, starting right now. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon, and today we're going to be talking with Jennifer Brown, author of How to Be an Inclusive Leader, your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. Jennifer, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hey, thanks, Chad. I'm happy to be here. So I, you know, I'm so excited to have you here to talk about something that it's 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 been in the conversation for many years, and it's something that I think everyone realizes that it more needs to be done. There, there's a lot of, uh, of discussion around unconscious bias, around diversity, around inclusion. What drove you to this topic? Well, uh, let's see. I had to reinvent myself professionally uh, many times, but most importantly from being a performing artist, an opera singer to to this work I do today. And I know it sounds kind of like a strange road, but it actually makes sense because I keynote for a living now. So mm. I was very comfortable on the stage. But, you know, I think I realized that that being an artist is something I wanted to downplay in the business world when I was trying to build my brand and my company um, and get paid hopefully lots of dollars by big corporations. Um, and that wasn't the only thing I was I was hiding in terms of presenting myself and my professional image. I'm also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And I was certainly closeted as a performer mm-hmm. and then as a business owner. So um, I knew personally what it felt like to not bring my full self to work. Uh, and I underst- came to understand historically and in the present day how many different people of different identities are not bringing their full selves to work. And personally, as somebody who would st- I have two master's degrees, one in music and one in leadership development. And so as somebody that studies organizational change, um, it really struck me that you know this is something I could help. Uh, from a personal lens, but also from an organizational dynamics lens, somebody that understood leadership um, and was fascinated with the way organizations shift from A to B on such a complex topic. And I, I like to say, you know, I was meant to use my voice, just not as a singer. So it's really critical today that I get to give voice to the voiceless in the workplace and also make sure that uh, those who have the most voice in the workplace understand how to build a more equitable environment around them. One of the the things that I love about doing this podcast is is it it kind of confirms something that that I've 
gotten to in, in my life and, and in my own development. And it's that whole idea around awareness, right? You know, if you, if you learn something and you study something and you're aware of something and then you run through that stop sign, that's kind of on you, right? And so <laughs> with, with some of these topics, do you feel like that, that, uh, that, that people, maybe it's blissfully ignorant, uh, maybe it's, 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 they just have not dug into it, their worldview is, is what it is, it's very small. Do you feel like there, there is something to that with some of these topics where, where until people are, are educated about it, their worldview has not given them the opportunity to, to, to really seek out uh, more connected, more inclusion? Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, it's it's really quite literally not understanding the experience of someone else, right? Which we we can't do. We can't walk in the moccasins. We can try, um, and we should try, particularly as leaders. So I think that the argument for this in the work context is that we need the best from everyone around us. You know, whether we're a colleague or a people manager or an executive, um, or or new to a career. You know, we have to generate that sense of safety so people can bring that full potential to their work right and that's that's sort of the 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 vision and the dream and the um but sadly kind of a fantasy <laughs> based on all the research we've done you know which shows that there's such a differential experience in the same exact workplace with the same environment and you know same rules and norms there's certain people that feel very um very not included that feel left out that feel like an outsider that feel that they're not really privy to the way things really work the sort of unwritten rules if you will and that nobody's really pulling them forward and up um, in the same way that they may be pulling forward and up some other folks that potentially look like them so this is a very real dynamic and um and i think we've got to choose to see it and look at it and then acknowledge perhaps our complicit role in it, even though it doesn't make you a bad person that, you know, you allowed this to happen because you didn't know. But to your point, it's on you. If you blow through the stop sign, you know the rules, right? Um, and once you've been shown um, and you let the genie out of the bottle, um, I hope that it's enough to generate Sometimes it generates empathy, which I think is beautiful and what I would I would like to have that be the only um, thing that's needed. But sometimes we also have to generate what we call the business case for diversity because some people, um, they just resonate with that in a more – in a deeper way. So that means that more diverse teams generate better results, more innovative results. Um, people that bring their more of their full self to work, they're more creative. They're more comfortable being creative. They're more comfortable thinking outside the box. Um, diverse teams create more um, resonant products with a diverse world. You know, I think one of the big disconnects we see is that um, workforces don't mirror, particularly senior levels of workforces, don't mirror the diversity of the world of customers and clients. And so in many ways, we're sort of out, really out of step when really we should be mirroring the outside world that we want to do business with, that we want to market to. And so if the empathy argument doesn't work and the examples, um, I think the business argument and the ROI and the lost opportunity uh, costs will resonate with people who prefer to sort of come at it that way. But um, yeah, well, you've got to get pretty creative when you do this work because you never really know what's going to resonate with somebody and kind of create that aha moment. So how would one get started? So and, and this is this is a tough one because, like I said, worldviews are worldviews, and and sometimes where you are dictates what you get exposed to. So if somebody wanted to to pick up this book and kind of walk through to to be better, to connect better, to become more inclusive, where would you put them on the path to start? 
Yeah, I think, well, most companies are now sort of starting to pressure anyone with a people leadership role. Um, and it's not just pressure, it might even be requirements to to put some numbers on the board with this topic. And so I would imagine a lot of people will pick up the book and say, gee, I'm, I'm being um, asked to understand this and take some action around this. And I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so honestly, that's most, I think, of who's going to be picking this up and saying, I need some guidance, but I I have felt sort of left out of this conversation about diversity. I don't know what it means to me. And like you said, I don't know where to start. So the book is a four-part model, like a four-phase journey. And I think what's so important for humans everywhere is just to know where you are. I think it helps to just be like, okay, I'm at the beginning of this journey. Jennifer is describing it this way. Um, There's no shame in it. It's more that I haven't been exposed uh, to for example, uh, the experience that if I'm a man, the experience that women may be having in my organization, you know, and I haven't been shown maybe some of the data around that. Um, and so going from that unaware stage to the aware stage, which is the phase two in the book, um, is is all about kind of awakening to the problem. Um, and if there are certain people that will deny there's a problem, for sure, even though you might present data. Um, they'll feel sort of like they're being strong-armed into a certain conversation or into certain accountability. Um, I have to say that's that's a pretty tough stance to take because the world is changing so quickly. Talent is changing. We have millennials and Generation Z coming in behind them. And inclusion is table stakes for them. I mean, they really understand it on a visceral level. And they also are not willing to leave a lot of themselves at the door like a lot of previous generations learned how to do and felt compelled to do. So I do think it's a bit of a head in the sand strategy to say this doesn't impact me. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to resist it. I don't think it's the right answer. Um, And then you show all the business case stuff. And hopefully between all of that, folks will say, you know, maybe I need to get on this train, figure this out. But my goal with writing the book was to create a safe space for people to do that learning and really coach them along the way so that it's not intimidating, it's not overwhelming. And really importantly, it doesn't shame anyone about what they don't know. I I really endeavored to write in in such a way that, you know, it felt like I can make mistakes. um, I can do my homework. I can get feedback. I can sort of develop the muscle that I need to be an inclusive leader. And um, there are ways to do that that are less risky and more sort of private. And I, I really recommend that and not sort of jumping into the deep end and saying, I get this whole inclusion thing. Let me tell you all about it. Because yeah. then you're probably maybe mansplaining. <laughs> yeah. um, and you And it's just risky. I mean, to get it wrong once really, I think, can destroy a lot of trust. And so um, I really co- coach people to take it take it slowly. It's like training for a marathon. You're not going to jump in and run the marathon. You're going to be training for six months. So, you know, look at inclusion and inclusive leadership in the same way. So we've all heard of uh, unconscious bias. Uh, we, you know, we talked about uh, um, how, I mean, just by the definition, the word unconscious bias, not aware of what, what, what you mm-hmm. don't know. So there's a part of this initially when you when you you know as you lay the book out you talk about there are situations where you're you're unaware and that and that could be because the things we've talked about where you've not been put in that situation or you've not sought that out so for someone that can look at this and say okay I've actually this is going to get a little uncomfortable because I've got to push myself in this direction you know how do you being unaware it's 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 a it's fixable thing, right? So it's yes. it's understanding what you don't know, so that you can you can move forward. So wh- where would you have somebody start? 
Well, I think you should, you need to familiarize yourself with all the different kinds of bias. And particularly in the workplace, there are some cardinal places and processes that bias occurs. So in recruitment and hiring, bias occurs with names on resumes, you know, Jose versus Joe. You know, those get very different levels of callbacks. And this is why, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking now about um, name blinding resumes, removing educational background occasionally from resumes because it triggers certain biases to hire like me because I'm going to be comfortable, more comfortable with someone that looks like me. So it starts right at the beginning with candidates, um, candidate slates, as I said, uh, biased language in job descriptions. It's been shown that words like superstar, ninja, rock star actually repel female candidates hmm. from uh, coding jobs, for example. And words like collaborative and supportive actually <laughs> repel male candidates, which is really interesting. Uh, we could unpack that on a different podcast. A little bit. Um, <laughs> so, so it starts in the hiring and recruitment process, resumes, um, uh, who makes it through to the whole gauntlet, gets hired. It then continues in salaries and the way we talk about salary negotiation, you know, if a woman is less likely to negotiate a salary that is competitive, um, it is in part because we are not we are not adept at that skill set, and that's again another podcast. <laughs> but it's how it's perhaps a combination of socialization and how we've been mentored and sponsored and sort of guided through the workplace. Um, and so that's why I'm a big fan of companies beginning to not ask for salary history because what's happening is when you ask candidates for salary history and a woman tells you the truth then you pay her in the range that she's been paid. You are actually perpetuating the pay equity gap. You're literally continuing it down the road. Um, and you don't want to be part of that. You want to break that and pay for the job at hand, right? Yeah. So um, I foresee that all that's going to start to change. Um, and that requirement, already some states have made it illegal to ask about salary history. And I think that some companies are following suit. And then it continues, you know, in your performance evaluations, if you say to a woman who's really assertive, you know, you're a bit aggressive or you have a bit sharp elbows, you know, you've got to really think about, am I evaluating the performance of a man in the same way? You know, am I congratulating him for something and sort of penalizing the woman for the same exact behavior? Um, and then, you know, it goes on and on the per, like advancement and promotion meetings sort of, I would, I would look at, okay, so we're interviewing a slate of people or we're, we're reviewing talent. Um, are we reviewing all male talent? Are we viewing there's no people of color in a certain like level that we're doing a review in? Um, and I think as you sort of sensitize yourself to all of these pieces, you realize, oh, my goodness, I've done that. I've done that. I didn't say anything. I noticed that, but I didn't do anything about it. Um, I, I've always assumed we don't have a pay gap in my organization, but I've never actually proven it. You know, and so we, we have all these beliefs about ourselves that we're really good people. Like, I'm a good person. I wouldn't let that happen. Right. The problem is that, that that's not enough when you've grown up in a, frankly, a really unequal world. Um, we get kind of lulled into this sense that that because we've perhaps have had an easier time, that the same is true for everyone around us. And once you start to to see this, you can't unsee it, <laughs> you know, I hope you can't unsee it. And, and your sense of fairness kicks in. You know, I've heard leaders say, you know, I have daughters and I, I don't know if I'd want them to work here. You know, I don't know if they would have an equal shot. If now that you just I just learned that women feel this way here, you know, how can I be a party to that? And so 
like I said, you know, however you kind of click in, then you start to see it everywhere. I mean, and you should be reading books about bias. There's a wonderful book called Blind Spot by Dr. Banaji out of Harvard. Um, and there's a test called the Harvard Implicit Association Test, which is free, the IAT. And I promise any listeners, if you want to take that, you'll be you'll be a little horrified or maybe a lot horrified yeah. by the biases that you didn't think you had. <laughs> yeah, it, and it is. It's it's we kind of get back to how I kind of set this up with you talking about um, once you have that awareness, right? And and mm-hmm. so when people actually uncover that, and and let's let's just all assume, I you know we've got some great listeners, and let's all assume our listeners have really good intentions. And so yeah. now yeah. that you've taken that assessment, now that you're aware of some of the conversations and awareness is it's it's there, it's in front of you. It's 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 either as we said before, you run through the stop sign or you don't. What are some of the things that people can do? The steps that they can take now that they've had the awareness to get comfortable being uncomfortable initially. Yeah, and what you just said is so important. I always say, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not leading. And that applies to this, just like anything else, you know, just like any new skill, any sort of stretch assignment you might take on, inclusion and these behaviors are going to feel uncomfortable. Um, You know, I I talk a lot about the need to, um, for example, share our pronouns in the workplace and ask any young person, they will know exactly what I'm talking about, but ask anyone who's a generation X or baby boomer leader and they'll say, what in the world is that? And it's an example of a generational uh, difference that we need to sensitize ourselves to that, you know, in schools and coming out of school and moving into companies, um, asking young people their their pronoun, he, she, him, he, she, hers, they, them, et cetera, is a sign of inclusive leadership and really allyship, which is another word that we use, which is to say, hey, I'm a safe place. Like I'm the kind of leader that, um, I'll be able to handle all of who you are, you know, and I, I don't want to deny who you are. I want you to do your best work. And so I want to know how to support you and what, you know, what obstacles that you need to be removed in order to achieve what you're capable of. And so, so leaders are sensitive to language. They start to change the way they talk about things. Um, they start to notice who's, who's in the room and who's not in the room. They start to notice who's speaking more or less, They start to um, share that they are on a journey and they don't have all the answers, which I think is really hard for, uh, you know, I think our our, our picture of an executive leader is somebody who's unassailable. You know, they have all the answers. They they are um, sort of all knowing. And that is really it has changed. Mm. Um, You know, I think a lot of the knowledge we need these days lives in in the bottom part of our organization, meaning the most junior part of our organization. I mean, that's that's the part of our workforce that actually reflects the world that we're, you know, buying and selling and building products for. So um, I think for that leader to admit vulnerability, to admit humility, to say, you know, I'm curious and I want to know what I don't know is huge, 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 huge. And then people will sort of step forward and help and lean into that because I do think that 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 the those folks who haven't been traditionally heard do want to support a leader and a colleague who says I want to learn more um, and so I think seeking the feedback saying how am I doing here's what I'm trying to express here's the space I'm trying to hold or here's the story I'm trying to tell I'm trying to role model this I'm trying to make sure we talk about it um, you should be checking in a lot with people to say, is this resonating? There's a difference between intent versus impact, right? Such a classic leadership rubric. Um, my intent is to be supportive and indicate that inclusion is important to me, but how is it being received? We've got to 
we've got to prioritize that. And then we've got to take the feedback, however much it might hurt, because we have good intentions and we have to adjust and we have to try it again. You know, and that's that iterative process of growth um, to finding your voice. And, you know, it's a risky time. I'll, I'll bring up there's some research that that I find really dispiriting out of Lean In, which is that uh, male colleagues are pulling away from female colleagues in the era of Me Too because there's a fear of those one-on-one relationships in the workplace being misconstrued. And um, that's a total disaster for women in the workplace because, you know, we need we need our male ally colleagues, particularly if they're senior, particularly if they have sort of the unofficial rules, particularly if they have power that could be shared in terms of sponsoring uh, a woman as she as she ascends this difficult pipeline. Um, we need actually more involvement and not less. So my my uh, my challenge to leaders is, uh, you know, don't give in to that fear and don't sort of take your marbles and go home. Um but please like lean into these lean into these relationships because they really matter. And um, inclusive behaviors are ones that you are going to need for the future. So you may as well be developing them now. So you talk about some of the things where you can actively focus on on some some impactful activities, active focus on act- activities. I like that. What <laughs> a turn of phrase, Chad. Uh, um, but yeah. <laughs> you talk about uh, mentoring, you talk about sponsorship, uh, you, you know, you, you talk about how this kind of taps into your why, you know, like, what is your purpose? So what are some things that people can do on in the workplace? They, they, let's say they have the awareness, they, they, they're, they, they, they want to do better. How can they have a stronger impact? And you, you also talked about, you know, the, the challenges of, of, of what's going on with, with some of these one-on-one relationships. But things have to change pretty drastically for this to get affected in a positive way. Yes, I agree. We can't be afraid of, of supporting our colleagues. Um, and, I, and I think um, at that point when you're, you're ready to use your voice and you feel you've practiced language and you've gotten feedback and you sort of know how to point your efforts and you know um, you're fairly comfortable, you know, you know enough to be dangerous in a good way, as I like to say, Um, that is when I think you have an opportunity to push back on others. You know, I, the ultimate level in the book is the advocate and the advocate is, is this fearless, bold, unapologetic truth teller. And you know, as an LGBTQ woman, I can tell you that the the male, straight, white, male, cisgender advocates in my life who basically constitute a lot of the executives I know, um, they they use their voice loudly and unapologetically and they call others like them to account, which is which is how you sort of know that you've traveled this journey, you've done the work and you're ready to really challenge the way that things have always been done. And at the advocate level, you're not just perhaps mentoring or being mentored in a one-on-one basis, but you're also asking questions about business as usual and the system, you know, the system that causes, because it's unexamined, the system that causes um, inequities in opportunity. So, you know, you may be that leader who speaks to other leaders and says, you know, why do we have a pay gap that continues? You know, why is this perpetuating? Why haven't we done anything about it? Can we do an audit? Um, It may be uh, that the company is kind of pressed to speak about and make a statement about something that's happening in the political or social realm outside of the four walls of the company. 
And it comes from the call to do something or say something comes from somebody that's not in an effect, the affected group. You know, it comes from an executive CEO. You know, it reminds me of Mark Benioff. I always come back to the CEO of Salesforce who threatened to pull 7,000 employees out of Indiana when there were some LGBT discriminatory laws, you know, being considered. Uh, he said, you know, I don't feel comfortable putting my employees in a place where, you know, they're not going to feel comfortable moving their families, you know, bringing their loved ones, being able to patronize the local cake shop, et cetera. And it actually influenced the direction of legislation. And that's just, you know, one example. But I but I do think the executive level advocate has a very particular very important role to play because everybody watches that person and what they say and what they don't say because silence also speaks very loudly. So if you want your workforce to feel seen and heard and you want those who are not really represented in that workplace, um, it's up to these allies and these advocates at the top of the house to really sort of say, you know, you matter and I'm listening to you and I hear you and I'm going to use my voice to make sure you know that you're welcome here. We're talking with Jennifer Brown, author of How to Be an Inclusive Leader. So many great insights, Jen. As, as, we, as we start to wrap up our conversation, what is the one thing that you want our listeners today, the readers of your book, what do you want them to take away from our conversation today? I would want that, that this conversation doesn't feel like uh, an intimidating one and that people, um, you know, I talk about my my privilege, you know, I'm not, I'm a woman and I'm LGBTQ. And I'm also though, I have privilege that is associated with my skin color, for example, um, the way that I present myself or how I many degree advanced degrees I have. Um, and so I'm, I'm heard by others in a very particular way that I'm given credibility. And so I would like your, the listeners to, to consider the mix, all of the pieces of who you are and to remember that, that, at levels of privilege or advantage, maybe is another word, comes with a tremendous, not just responsibility, but really opportunity to, you know, utilize your voice to, you know, affect your workplace environment and your workforce and the people that want to work with you and for you. So um, when you think about your diversity story, because we all have a diversity story, um, be open to all of these pieces that make you who you are. Remember that, you know, we all know something about exclusion um, and that you not only belong in this conversation, but your voice really, really matters. And I'd like to task everybody with thinking about, you know, how can I be, if I am uncomfortable, it's for the purpose of growth and and know that this is a future skill set. In fact, it probably is and will be one of the top five skill sets for leaders in the future. So many great insights, uh, such an, an incredibly important topic and um, important for for the future, but but so important for right now, um, mm -hmm. as we all can can strive to to do just a little bit better. And uh, and we appreciate your work and your insights and your time today on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast, Jennifer. If people wanted to dig a little bit deeper into your world and connect with you and learn about more about you, more about your research, where would you send them? Okay, so Jennifer Brown Consulting on Facebook and LinkedIn. I am big on Twitter. I've learned a lot on Twitter about this topic, actually. So if you follow me at Jennifer Brown, you will 
be exposed to some amazing things. I'm at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram. And um, the book, I have two books out. The latest is The How to Be an Inclusive Leader, which you just mentioned on Amazon. It's also an audio book, which I narrated myself. And I have my own podcast, which is Love called it. The Will to Change. So please tune in wherever you listen to your podcasts. Jennifer, thank you so much. And thank you as well just for being a part of, uh, of the Leader Chat Podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Wow, Chad, what a fabulous interview with Jennifer Brown. I want you all to listen to the title of her book again. It's long, but it says a lot. How to be an inclusive leader. That's the big goal. How do you be an inclusive leader? And the subtitle is your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. And what she's really talking about is unconscious bias uh, around race, uh, nationality, uh, sexual preference, sex, self, and, and that a lot of us don't realize that we treat certain people who look differently and are ad, have different habits and all than us, sometimes differently. We don't even think about it. It's an unconscious bias. And so my biggest suggestion is that have people that work with you listen to this interview and then talk about it. Do you think there's any unconscious bias that we are part of? You know, what can we do to look at our behavior? You know, my feeling for a long time has always been when in doubt confront when else, all else fails, try honesty. And so I think this is a powerful thing that we all have to look at. Do we have any unconscious bias that might be not giving people the same opportunities, the same uh, benefits that we give people who are like us? So thanks, uh, Chad. You constantly are bringing people that make us think. And I don't like that. <laughs> I really do. And I tell you, Jennifer is somebody that we got to listen to and find out if we maybe have some unconscious bias. So God bless.